With a trip to the bowling alley that we now know is conveniently located at Fenway Park, soon approaching for BC football, we at the Buzz thought there would be no better time to take a look back at how the Eagles got here. From 3-9 and nine at the bottom of the conference to 6-6 six and six and in the hunt for an ACC championship berth for longer than expected, 2023 brought potential for great things to come in the next few years. I'm your host, Giovanni Collada, and welcome to episode 12 of the Beacon Street Buzz, season 2, which will be one unlike we have ever done before. Today, we'll do our first ever BC Sports season in review, starting with the first sport we see every year, BC football. Let's get ready for the holidays. Let's get ready for the bowl game. And Eagles! Let's get buzzed. Castellanos will keep it. To say that Boston College football's 2023 season was a roller coaster is, in fact, to undersell it, because this year had ups, downs, and everything in between. Win or lose, BC football had fans on the edge of their seat all season long, giving fans the excitement of watching football each and every week. And the ultimate thing this team gave fans? A three-win improvement in their record from 3-9 in 2022 to 6-6 six and six in 2023. The team was even in contention for an ACC championship berth later in the season than they have been in four years. They are going to get to play in their first bowl game since 2016. Yet, oddly enough, the outlook for the season from the current students is largely negative. Take a listen to some of the responses we got when we asked students how they felt about the Eagles' 2023 campaign. A down, then up, then down year, I would say. Like, that middle stretch really got people excited, but I don't know, we just went back to the way BC football has been in the recent years and just played terrible. Even the potential for next year? Uh, I really hope so. I really don't know, though. I was impressed by the five-game win streak and becoming bowl eligible. However, very disappointed in the way we ended the season. And what are your thoughts about next season? Uh, not hopeful, considering how many people we lost in the transfer portal. And us only have eight people coming in as the recruiting class as of right now. Better than last year, but um, still can't say I stayed an entire game. Pretty disappointed in the last three losses. Still kind of suck overall. I think overall is an improvement from last year. It was good to see. Castellanos uh, reviving a lot of the spirit around the team, but I think on the coaching side, we're still experiencing a lot of the same problems just in different areas in terms of just every week it seems like there's a lack of preparation for like predictable things. We we know the opponents we're going to do, and the, there does seem to be some hope, but I'm not sure that the, the staff did enough this year to convince me that they deserve the chance to continue. I mean, I don't know how you pay a guy $3 million a year to lose to Northern Illinois and almost lose to Holy Cross and then just turn the season around, win four games in a row against nobodies, think the season is like the best thing ever, they're going bowling and everything, and then lose to Pitt. It was five games in a row. Does that change your answer? We still lost to Phil Jerkovich as a tight end. But the story of the final record is not the whole story that BC football's 2023 season tells. While the losses stung, the wins show that more than anything, this team has potential to do great things in the next few years. 
But what makes me say that after a 6-6 six and six record from a fringe bowl team? Can there possibly be potential when the team has not had a 7-win season in the last four years? This past year shows that the answer is a resounding yes. There are players that agree. There are media members who weigh in. And even the students, a large majority of whom unceremoniously leave the games in the second quarter, see that the best days for BC football may lie ahead. The rest of today's episode will be devoted to showcasing this potential for the team in years to come. But to do that, we must first look back at this year from the beginning. So, let's start with a 2023 Boston College football season in review. Hit it! with training camp. Coming off a career-worst 3-9 season, head coach Jeff Halfley knew that there were many factors that contributed to the losing in 2022 that did not have to do with the personnel on the field. And Mahogany is the first name that jumps out because he's got a nastiness and a toughness and he leads by the way he plays. That's what we missed and that's what he brings to that room. And then on defense, it's a guy like Donovan. Um, you know, he was a soft, true sophomore last year, junior. It doesn't matter that he's not a senior. You know, we know he's one of the best players on our team. Then you have Vinny De Palma, so you get into the older guys too, right? Vinny's, I feel like Vinny's been here forever. In the offseason, coach was confident in players that showed out last year, exemplified by who he selected as captain at the end of camp. Donovan Ezraku, Vinny De Palma, Christian Mahogany, and Pat Garl, which is a good, good mixture. You got a younger guy in Donovan, and then you got some older vets. And then I think with Christian getting voted, it kind of shows his maturity. The ones that will get their chance this year. Lewis Bond has emerged into, in my opinion, one of our better offensive players. And even the ones that will be taking their very first snaps as Eagles, of whom there were many. John Pupil is a guy. Um, honestly, he's a really good football player. He's tough. He's instinctive. He keeps finding the football. He's really smart. Really glad we have Thomas. Thomas came in in a short period of time, learned the offense. I mean, he didn't really get here um, until after spring ball. So The depth on this team was stressed up and down the staff, from media members to coaches to Coach Halfley himself and to the players that were competing for these positions in the first place. There were times where Coach Halfley did not know who was going to be starting week one against NIU. I mean, we're, we're pretty into the thick of camp here, um, and there's still numerous positions that I couldn't tell you who's starting. The confidence was infectious, as players, other coaches, and media members all reflected the excitement around BC football returning to the heights for the first time in a while. The promises of running the football, playing smash-mouth defense, and committing to being disciplined led to an expectation of recovery right out of the gate in that first game of the season when BC hosted Northern Illinois University. We're going to run the ball. Like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to be physical. And we're going to be really aggressive. This is Locked On Boston College. I'm your host, AJ Black, publisher of Eagle Insider, part of the 247 Network. This is a big game. This is a big game for BC because, as I've said on past episodes, this is a, they need to have a statement win here. They need to be able to go out there and 
and put the Huskies down and show that this is not the same team as 2022. practices and lifts have led to this moment after a long spring and summer's wait bc football has finally returned to the heights ladies and gentlemen how lucky are we to be in alumni stadium today as boston college opens 2023 against northern illinois for much of training camp redshirt sophomore quarterback emmett moorhead led the eagles in their practices uh, is Emmett going to be the starter? Yeah. <laughs> and he also led the Eagles out on their first two series of the year in the game against NIU. But after those two series, it was sophomore transfer, Georgia native, Thomas Castellanos, who, despite the overtime loss, stole the show from the Eagles from that third series on. He even made waves in his very first snap. Look about this, look who's walking out at quarterback. The transfer from... UCF, Thomas Castellanos, first time we're seeing him in an Eagles jersey. And he'll keep it, and he's oh got boy. a blocker in front of him. Knocked out of bounds, close to midfield. Well, welcome to the Eagles. Yeah, that was his first career play, 30-yard run. Talk about starting fast. And the superhuman plays for Castellanos didn't stop there. After NIU built up a 21-7 advantage, Castellanos and company were running out of time with nine to go in the final quarter. Fourth and five, own 46. Game on the line, needing multiple scores. Enter Tommy Touchdowns. Look for pressure from NIU. They're bringing it right up the middle. Castellanos is flushed. Oh, he's in big trouble here. Trying to find something downfield. This is Fran Tarkin and Esk. Now he throws for Bonds, and he has him for the first down! Yet despite the jaw-dropping plays and eye-opening performance from Castellanos and the Eagles, BC did fall to NIU in overtime, 27-24. Big win for the MAC, big win for Northern Illinois. Coach Hammock does it again, like he did two years ago in Atlanta to Georgia Tech. And the feelings of frustration disappointment and despair were tangible both on campus and throughout the fan base. We went into the season with hope, with optimism, and feeling good about the future of Boston College football. And in just one game, all of that has come crashing down. The prospects of a nationally notable bounce back season that seems so real at 12 o'clock p.m. on September 2nd had vanished by 3.30. But the positive Eagles fans out there, of whom there were not many after that game, saw the potential of the new signal caller. With the right day, with some more experience, Castellanos seemed like the future already. Any one of these weeks, Tommy could bring the thunder. And as crazy as it sounds, The immediate future for BC football seemed to ride on the next game, in which an age-old in-state rivalry was renewed. For the first time since 2018, Boston College hosted the Holy Cross Crusaders, a series that started in 1896 and was played annually every year until 1986. A rivalry reinstated with incredible stakes for the Eagles, and what a day it was. 
With bad weather in the forecast, BC turned the tides from the abysmal previous game and started out fast, scoring three touchdowns on their first five series, including this 14-yard run by graduate transfer Ryan O'Keefe. Wide receiver O'Keefe in the backfield. He takes it from Castellanos. Turns forward and ahead of steam. Bounces off a tackle. He's in the end zone. Touchdown, Boston College. And Ryan O'Keefe. BC went up 10 going into half. But Holy Cross came roaring back. And with it, brought the demons from NIU Week to continue to plague BC. In the red zone once again where they've scored three touchdowns today. Fuller takes it, cuts back, he has the first down and more. Jordan Fuller inside the five, carrying Eagles toward the goal line. Touchdown, Holy Cross! And while the penalties, the mental miscues, and the disciplinary issues continued to not favor BC, soon into the fourth quarter, neither did the weather. As the end to this game was delayed by over two hours due to lightning in the area. And when play resumed, it looked as though the Crusaders were going to put the Eagles away. Until the Eagles' defense flipped the script and the season. With the pocket breaking down, Zelka lost the football. It's loose. De Palma diving for it. And Vinny De Palma's on the football. Boston College recovers. And the Eagles should survive. And what a confidence booster that was. At 1-1, one one, the Eagles now go into one of their biggest, if not the biggest, game of the season on a couple of fronts. First and foremost, September 16th, week three of the college football season, was the annual Wells Crowther Red Bandana game. A tradition bigger than football on this campus and in the country. We show them the video. We talk about 9-11 and we talk about Wells. And it, we finish, if you've ever been to campus, we have what we call the million dollar staircase that goes from lower campus to upper campus. We finish with a run up that and, and, and really trying to represent running up the tower. You know, it was 9-11 this week. So I did talk to the team about it. Because when we put on the jerseys, it cannot be, and I've said this, it can't be about, you know, look at these cool new uniforms and these cleats. and No, that's not what it's about at all. And with Wells and his everlasting bravery firmly in mind, BC donned the exclusive red bandana jerseys as the Florida State Seminoles, third ranked in the nation, came marching up from Tallahassee. Now, on a day that brought clouds and the prospects of rain once again, the outlook for many in attendance that day was negative, and only in terms of the game. The so-out crowd, both Florida State fans and BC fans alike, packed Alumni Stadium in support of Wells and of their teams. And despite BC fans largely thinking and expecting a loss to one of the blue bloods of college football, the passion from the fan base was as high as it was all season long. Now, people still thought that since Florida State is one of the powerhouses of the sport, they were going to show why by easily taking care of BC. Yet in front of a national audience on ABC... BC quickly jumped out in front and began to prove that it wasn't just any old Saturday in the park. 
the middle, wide open. Inside the 20-yard line is Lewis Bond, and he's heading to the end zone. Touchdown, Boston College. Lewis Bond's 32-yard score put BC on top 7-0. But the Knolls would soon play to their top five standard exploding to hold a 31-10 advantage late in the third quarter. As BC scored a touchdown to begin the comeback, things still looked pretty bleak until the spark. Florida State trying to go to 3-0 and take its number three ranking to Death Valley to play Clemson noon ABC next week. Dump off pass to Karee Johnson, the transfer from Arkansas, making the defensive play of the year for the Eagles to get them back in the game. BC came roaring back to bring it all the way within two on this eight-yard scamper from Castellanos. Castellanos will keep it, trying to get the edge. He does, into the end zone. Touchdown, Boston College. Man, what a scene at Alumni. And while a costly penalty... Their 18th of the day sealed a win for FSU. The Eagles hung with one of the nation's top dogs, all for Wells. And that is nothing, and I mean nothing, to be overlooked by fans, students, and most importantly, the players and team themselves. Unfortunately, the bitter taste left in fans and the team's mouth after the crushing loss was only sour down in Kentucky, as BC got crushed by the 17th-ranked Louisville Cardinals. Led by senior quarterback Jack Plummer, the Cards hung 56 points on BC's defense, by far the highest amount this year. And while it wouldn't seem like it, even then there were some electric plays made by Castellanos and BC. Broom shifts to the right side of Castellanos. Castellanos flushed out of the pocket. He's got room to run if he wants it. He launches it into the end zone, and it's caught for a touchdown. Ryan O'Keefe, a 30-yard score. But folks, this is where it gets good. From weeks 5 to 9, Boston College racked off five straight wins for their longest such streak in over seven years which made the team bowl eligible for the first time since 2021 and will allow them to actually play in the bowl game for the first time since 2016. Remember those problems we discussed earlier? The penalties, the offense falling flat, and so on? Those seemed like an afterthought during the Eagles' high-flying month of October. The defense allowed just 19 points per game and had eight interceptions in those four games, Compared to weeks one to four, where they averaged more than 35 points per game allowed and had zero interceptions. What an improvement in just a matter of weeks. On offense, there were significant and stark changes in the stats too, all for the better. They upped their per game rushing yardage from 159.5 to 252 yards per game, which was not only good for first in the ACC, but as high as seventh in the country. And those penalties that lost them a miracle game against the third-ranked team in the nation? While they averaged 11 penalties per game over the first four weeks, they only averaged three over the next five, 
which explains why BC was able to go 5-0 during that stretch. Started on Parents Weekend, another gloomy Saturday, which brought the Virginia Cavaliers to Alumni Stadium. In a game that BC should have won convincingly, Lewis Bond continued to break out. And in this game, he absolutely had to to avoid another heartbreaking and ultimately shocking loss. Final minute and change of the third quarter from Alumni Stadium out on the edge. Bond, Bond, hits on the 10, and he'll take it to the house for Boston College. But Bond's touchdown came in the second half, where the Eagles had to fight back from a first-half ending Hail Mary. They scored 17 unanswered points, and it was the right leg of kicker Liam Connor that sealed the win for the Eagles. Liam Connor to give BC the late advantage. Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. 42 yards away and hooking. And good from Liam Connor. Then they beat Army, where in an absolute monsoon, Castellanos' four-touchdown day helped BC battle to a win. Third goal from the one. Castellanos off right side. Scoots in. Touchdown, Boston College. They take the lead with 25 seconds left. For one of the statement wins of the season, the Eagles next took down Georgia Tech, where BC clawed their way out of yet another first half deficit to ice their largest victory of the season with an electric fourth down house call from guess who number one again like we saw in the touchdown switching the line to the right side Castellanos gets through and still on his feet he's got one man to beat inside the 20 inside the 10 he'll score ice cold the Eags went back home to seek revenge on UConn who they shockingly lost to for the first time ever back in 2022. And while this year's game looked grim and seemed to bring deja vu for the first couple of drives, BC escaped a sluggish offensive game from both sides of the ball to win. Broom in the backfield with Castellanos. Castellanos will throw. Out to Broom on the screen. He can walk in. It was their first time winning four more games in a row since they started the season 4-0 back in 2021. But the finisher, the bowl clincher, a pound-for-pound, 17-10 dogfight victory at Syracuse, in which the defense recorded four interceptions, including the walk-off pick from safety Cole Batson. There's orange tape. One timeout. Over the middle, it's tacked in, it's picked. Intercepted. And while inelegant losses to Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Miami ended the season with the return of some of the same issues, we cannot discount the incredible strides made by BC football this season. The fact that Coach Hapley and this staff said that they were going to run the ball and stood on their word better than anybody, seeing a three-win improvement, getting to actually play in a bowl game for the first time since 2016, the emergence of a Heights hero. Tommy touchdowns are all reason to believe why in years to come, the BC Eagles can continue to fly high. But there's still one more game to look ahead to in 2023. 
the Eagles will play in the Fenway Bowl on December 28th, where they'll take on future ACC opponent SMU. And a good showing against the Mustangs would be a clear determinant of a bright future for the Eagles. We're going to take a quick break, where after you'll get to hear from Boston College beat writer for the Boston Globe, Mr. Trevor Haas, who will further provide info into the outlook on last season and what's next for these Eagles. All that and more on the other side, so don't go anywhere. Episode 12 of the Beacon Street Buzz continues next. So, welcome back, everyone, to this very special episode 12. Thank you. Welcome back to that break. Giovanni Collada joined by very special guest today from the Boston Globe, Boston College beat writer, Mr. Trevor Haas. Trevor, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming. And talking about this Boston College football team, you've said you've covered them since 2019. Thinking about where they came from, they started out 3-9. and nine. And to have the improvement they did to get to 6-6, six and six, Talk to me about some of the improvements you saw from the team this year. Yeah, it was a pretty wild season. I mean, when you think about it, you know, they ended up six and six, but it was an extremely strange path to get there. Like you mentioned, the five-game inning streak, that was the the highest spots I've seen around the program since 2019 when I started covering them. I mean, people were pretty much all the way in, you know, with Halfley and with with the running backs, with the O-line, with the offense, with the defense. It was kind of like a, whoa, like this team's pretty good. And then all of a sudden they lose the final three games. And then it's like, hmm. You know, they're back to six and six. They're kind of stuck in that mediocre place where they've been for most of the most of the past few years. And then last year was obviously a down year. But overall, they're kind of, you know, hovering around that 500 mark, generally speaking. But I think there were a lot of positives. Like you said, I think Castellanos is really the biggest one. They found a quarterback who really fits their system. He's a great runner, uh, improving passer. He's a little inconsistent in the area and in stretches, but overall played well the bulk of the season. So I was pretty impressed with him overall. I think the offensive line made a huge, you know, huge jump from last year. Um, obviously, last year was they really struggled as a unit, and it was just a kind of a tough situation due to injuries and some other variables out of their control. Just getting Mahogany back and you know building the core around him with some transfers and some young guys really paid dividends there. And Kai Robichaux was great as a running back. I think one area of improvement next year will be the receivers. Um, Lewis Bond played pretty well as a catalyst there, but I think the receiver depth is an area to address. And I think one guy who could take a leap is Jaden Skeet. He showed some signs. Uh, late in the season so I think he's a really really impressive look for him to you know take a take a leap defensively I think some inconsistency overall um, I think that's really the the biggest thing they allowed 47 touchdowns this season which is obviously not going to cut it if you're you know giving up you know tons of points to Louisville and other teams like that it's going to be tough to win win the eight games that fans want so it's just about consistency the the defensive line definitely improved from last year the linebackers were pretty good overall, but I think the secondary is the area that really needs to take that next leap. So I think they are capable, but it's just about that consistency and kind of, you know, piecing the, the blocks together as opposed to up, down, up, down, up, down, just being consistently up. And that's consistency is a word that I think when you talk about Coach Halfley coming into camp, coming out through any point this season. But I do want to go back to those first three to four games of the season, because I often call those the what if games, because looking at what would have happened had some of those results been different? The loss to NIU in overtime is the one that stands out the most. They probably should have won game against Florida State. And if those turn out like they probably should have, you and I are having a very different conversation right now. And we're looking at an eight-win team versus a six-win team. What in your eyes were among some of those big problems plaguing BC? And then going to next year, how do you think they have to fix them? 
Yeah, I think like you said, it's pretty interesting to look back at, you know, a couple of things here, a couple of things there. It could have been an eight, maybe even nine win team if they got some breaks. But um, looking back at the NAU game is really the big one for me. You know, you mentioned it earlier. I think that's really the game. You know, the team is still figuring out its identity and then it really realized that Castellanos was the guy then. If Castellanos had really, you know, started that game and, you know, played well from start to finish, I think BC might have won that game. And then you do get to that seven win mark and then you get a bowl game and all of a sudden you're at eight. Um, so I think that's really the big one that stands out to me. Not necessarily ideal if you want to win in the ACC and be consistent, like we said, you really have to clean that up. So I think I, do, I think that will improve next year in terms of consistency because, you know, they have a lot of guys coming back. They really don't lose much of their core. Um, you know, they lose Mahogany and some other key guys like Vinny De Palma, but, you know, young guys who are freshmen and sophomores this year now have that varsity, varsity experience and they've, they've really gained a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of game, game experience. So I think they'll come back and overall I would expect the team to commit fewer penalties next year than this year. As we begin to wrap up going off that, next year brings teams to alumni and away, such as Missouri, Michigan State, North Carolina, and SMU. Definitely a tougher schedule than you had this year. Just one final note about the potential for the team's performance next season, knowing the personnel we've discussed today, knowing what happened this year and how they can further improve. What's your prediction for what happens next year? Yeah, I think the key will be getting some, you know, solid transfers who have been around for three or four years, like they did with Kyle Herger and Logan Taylor this year, guys who have really been experienced and, you know, know what they're doing up front and, you know, keep that identity of the wrong game going. Um, and then getting some defensive guys like like Pupil and like other guys we've mentioned who have been really consistent and at smaller programs and get the chance to, you know, play in the big leagues and, you know, really step it up. So. I expect this team to be honestly about where it was this year. That's just my truthful prediction. I don't think it's going to be markedly better or markedly worse. Uh, I think people are kind of freaking out now that like people are leaving like Pat Garo and Sheeta Salah, which is, you know, not ideal for the program, but I think those guys are, are great players, but they're able to, you know, you can replace them. So I don't think they're going to be much worse, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to be much better just because it's, it, it's tough. Like you said, with the schedule, um, I think that's having those games or this was kind of the year to do it in my opinion. I mean, if you, you know, you look at those games, you have, NIU, Holy Cross, Army, a lot of teams that are Virginia that are not great. Pitt is really the game. We didn't even mention that one that they probably should have won. Um, so this was kind of the year to get eight or nine wins. I think they could get eight wins next year. It's possible, but I would probably put them right around six and six, you know, make an honest prediction of what will happen. So I think it's just kind of, you know, stuck in limbo. But at the same time, there are some encouraging signs, like we said, with Castellanos having a year under his belt and players like Jaden Skeet and Jeremiah Franklin coming back, I think the offense can, you know, hopefully, you know, be a little more consistent, like we said, but at the same time, the, the defense really needs to step up. So that's a long way way of saying, I think they'll be about the same. <laughs> and while we've been looking at next year a lot, if they were to really blow your mind in that bowl game, what will they have done? Yeah, I think it's a cool opportunity. They haven't really, they haven't won a bowl game since 2016, which is kind of a crazy stat. I was looking back at it today and with the, the lightning and the COVID situations, it's been mm -hmm. like a weird, a weird sequence where it's been like, all right, they might actually win a, a bowl game and that kind of, you know, salvages your season a little bit, but then nope, hasn't really happened. So I think this is a good chance to kind of ride the ship and, you know, after those three losses to, to kind of give fans a glimpse and they're like, all right, this team could be pretty good next year. And, you know, there's not all hope is lost. I mean, obviously there's a long way to go to get to ACC title contenders, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, there, it, there's no need to lose hope in terms of the consistency of the program and getting to at least that six win mark. So if you can beat a good team like that, that has, you know, lots of wins on its resume, I think that would be impressive and kind of a, a sign that things are potentially looking up. And, you know, like we said, they have a long way to go, but there are some signs for the future where things could turn around. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> Um, Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to hear your opinions on BC football, obviously so knowledgeable, and we're hoping that next year can be everything we hope it is and more. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
So great to hear from Trevor, somebody that's been around the Eagles for so long, to get some real insight into next season and those after it. While it may be bleak now, we saw coming into this last season that a lot can change from now until next September. Just ask Thomas Castellanos. As we reach the 30-minute mark of this episode, we turn to our next interview, where I was joined by Beacon Street Buzz co-founder and host Nick Petralia, as well as social media manager Jackson Shafroff, to sit down with lineman turn guard graduate Jack Conley. As the team gears up for the trip to the ballpark, we talk to Jack about his life playing football, his favorite memories while playing for BC, and a look ahead to how he thinks the Eagles can get it done versus SMU this Thursday at Fenway. Before we reflected on his time at BC and look forward to what's ahead, we asked Jack how it all began. And Jack started by telling us about his roots in football. Um, I've always kind of been a football junkie since I was a little kid. Um, grew up, as like we were talking about, loving the Patriots. Um, and my parents really loved the game, but, um, my mom didn't let me play for a long time. She was a physical therapist who worked, um, in pediatrics. So she dealt with a lot of brain injuries. Um, so she was always worried about concussions and stuff. So I didn't start playing until I, like sixth grade. Um, and my brother started at the same time when he was in eighth grade. So, um, yeah, it's just always, I've always loved it since I was a little kid. We were talking about the Patriots. Obviously, you had a pretty good childhood. Unfortunately, right now it's not as good. But yeah. thinking, <laughs> thinking about growing up with a team that's that good and obviously wanting to play football for so long, what kind of effect did that have on you in terms of your journey and how you got to where you are? Well, you know, when you're a kid watching those guys on TV, they're like your heroes. They're exactly what yeah. you want to be. So um, you want to grow up and be just like them, and that kind of kickstarts the dream. And then. You, try to do what they do in the backyard and all yeah. that. So I can yeah. only think of the lineman who on the kickoff return took it to the ten yard Dan line. Connolly. Dan Connolly. Dan yeah. Connolly, good yeah. memory. But that was a crazy, crazy play. Yeah. Uh, did you start off playing football as an offensive lineman or were you playing yeah. another position? Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> in uh my youth league there's a weight limit for uh if you're allowed to touch the ball. Really? So, uh, yeah. Really? So I, I always had a big orange sticker on my helmet. Can I ask what the what the weight limit was? I uh, changed for like every grade, but I think in eighth grade, I think it was like 185 pounds or something. Yeah. And I, I think I was That's... like 240. Oh, in eighth grade? Wow. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you talk about, I mean, obviously your number here is 67. Mm-hmm. Is there a story behind that? And has that been your number since day one? Uh, yeah, it's in high school and youth and everything. I was always 77. Um, and then I had an option when I got here. Uh, between a few different numbers. I forget what the other ones were at the time, but uh, 67 was one of them. And my brother in college, he wore 76. So I figured that 67 would work out pretty well. And speaking of numbers with you, Jack, we were talking a little bit in the hallway, and we'll get to this later, about how you kind of have two numbers now, 67 and 44, for those of you that don't know. Jack, in certain packages on the offense, will come out at number 44 so that he's a tight end and not a lineman in terms of eligibility. So that's, that's kind of interesting, and we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. But I do want to touch back to you know, players you idolized growing up because you talk about the NFL, you talk about the Patriots. It's obviously a lot of success. Is there anyone that you really modeled your game after? Is there your favorite NFL NCAA player that you've had? 
Growing up, um, I love Nate Solder. He was the yeah. left tackle for the mm-hmm. Patriots, then to the Giants. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the way I was grew up watching. That's why I wore number seventy-seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really hope that you modeled your game after Patriots. Yeah, Nate I was about Solder. to say. Yeah, yeah, not, not Giants. Giants. He yeah. is. I would say he's hated. Yes, I do. Not, York, I do not like him. Uh, we do not like him. He stole a lot of money uh, from us. So we talked. Um, not poor. Earlier, how you actually Halfley was not the guy who recruited you. It was Ambrosio, or or Adazio. Steve or Steve Adazio. Adazio. It'd be really, it'd be pretty impressive if uh, well, if Colby the forward, if the forward yeah, for the that's right, that's right, that's what I was thinking. Of. <laughs> what was the what is the uh, the difference between those coaches to you, and and when Jeff came on, why did you decide? You know, I guess transferring wasn't really a thing, but why did you know that? You still wanted to stick with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're two very different people, but they preach a lot of the same things. Um, Adazio's obviously a lot um, a lot louder. He's, he's your classic Italian guy. <laughs> and um, he really, like, he preached that we're a family, and he loved us, and he preached that through uh, the whole recruiting process. And the idea of kind of just being in, like, a tough program. Um, and then Coach Half came in uh, – after my freshman season, right before we left for COVID. And um, obviously there was a lot of uncertainty and there always is with coaching changes. But um, it kind of, day one, he he talked about how much he is gonna put into us and how much he'll work for us. And to this day, he's never he's never not done that. He's, he's stuck to his word and that's the best thing about him. He's completely honest, completely transparent and he says it how it is, if it's good or bad. And um, just like Adazio, he preached love and family, and that's kind of why the same uh, ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about the transition between Adazio and Halfley, I mean, I don't think there haven't been a lot of people on this team who have gone through something like that. Mm-hmm. What was that like? And take us through some of those moments that really defined that period for you. Yeah, you know, I think uh, on our team now, there's only a few of us that were on uh on Adazio's team, Vinny, Christian, myself, Elijah Jones, and Pat Garwo, Cheetah. Just and I'm sure there's a few more other guys, but just to name a few. And so it's been weird. Um you kinda right when you get to college in college football, you learn a lot right away. <laughs> and um so that learning period was very weird for us as we just finished up the season. We're about to go through our first off season, and right before the bowl game, coach gets fired. And so you learn. We learn really fast to deal with adversity because you never know what's going to happen. You just like it's like a metaphor for football. Anything could happen at any time. Um, and we were kind of learning on the fly, and we were we were really lucky to have a really solid group of older guys with us. To mention, like on the O line, uh, Ben Petrula, Alec Lindstrom, Tyler Vrabel, Zion Johnson, guys like that, to kind of help me and Christian along and um, show us the ropes, even though there was so much uncertainty when they could have probably just left whenever they wanted. So um, it was it was definitely weird, but um, it was great. And Coach Half made it as easy as possible, even though we got sent home right after for COVID. Um, I think we had like three or four weeks of winter workouts and then got sent home. So um, it was definitely odd, but it was good. What was it like playing uh, during COVID? Was it like 
every story you hear from like professional athletes is like it's the weirdest thing in the world. Was it that was, what it was like for you? It felt like practice some games, um, but some schools allowed um, people in their stadiums, like Clemson did. I remember, and um, so you go from here where we're playing in pretty much silence, and there's like cardboard cutouts in the stands yeah. of like dogs. Really? Like, yeah, like my mom. <laughs> and then you go to Clemson, and there's like all of a sudden there's like 35,000 people there or something and like it's like the most deafening thing ever because you're not used to that at all um which now that's like half of the amount of people that were at the game we played there last or something and so yeah COVID was really really weird um it was hard though we we didn't see our families for eight nine months oh they bubbled you yeah Yeah. wow um and so that's that's why we ended up not playing in a bowl game that year. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just so much mental wear and tear on all of us. We got back here June 1st, and we didn't do any. Like, we pretty much did nothing besides football until – in school, obviously, until um, uh, about, like, December – around 10th or something I think we decided and we were like all right we're not doing this we got to go home yeah. but um it was it was a great year for our program I think because uh with the new coaching staff that came in it, it gave us a lot of time to bond and uh with the coaches and new players who have come so yeah wait so is this so is Fenway gonna be your first bowl Fenway game? will be the first one I think you've Birmingham played. Bowl Birmingham Bowl. I didn't play in the Birmingham Bowl, no. so this so will be, be your first. Your first. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? What's your thought? What are you feeling about that? Are you excited? It's exciting. Yeah. I mean, there's story tradition in Fenway Park, um, so it'll be really cool to be able to play in there. Coach Rhodes was, uh, who's a newer coach on our staff this year, but he's a past head coach, and he was addressing the team the other day, talking about how he would, he's been lucky enough to um, coach in a few different MLB stadiums and how cool it is. He said, I think he coached at the Giants in San Francisco, yeah. Diamondbacks, I think. and one other. And um, he said it's really cool. So it's really exciting. And we're the home team. So yeah. we get um, to be in the Red Sox clubhouse, which will yeah. be really oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you guys get, and you guys get a tough, probably the toughest tough. matchup possible. Well, you think, mm-hmm. you look at SMU going into bowl selection, they were either playing Oregon or they're, you see, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Obviously, you know you guys are an incredible team, but you know Oregon's in and yeah, Oregon's a great team. Nation and to have Liberty go over there and then SMU come back, it's a good matchup. But I think just looking immediately at how you guys match up, and we'll take this time to transition into this year's team. Mm-hmm. You know they definitely like to throw it. Mm-hmm. You guys on at least on defense, I think the matchup I'm looking at right off the bat is your unit, the O-line, versus that defensive line. How effectively right. can you guys run the ball? Because, to be honest, we've said this ad nauseum, the way you guys run the ball, I think, determines the outcome of the game. Right. So what are your thoughts early on what you're seeing from them? Um, I've watched a little bit of their tape. It's still really early. We've got um, got a few weeks left, but I've definitely watched probably an hour combined of their tape. They've got a real good D-line. Um, I think he's number six, their nose. They do some different things. They jump in at a – jumping in and out of uh, like a even front and under an under front over front and a odd front with a dose player yeah um, so they're pretty versatile and their third down package is good but um, I'd be interested to see because a lot of teams that we've played haven't really faced a run game like ours yeah where we uh, we pride ourselves on coming downhill 
and we'll uh, we'll hit you in the mouth. So we'll see um, how they can hold up with that, and hopefully it's zero degrees of Fenway. Yeah. One thing yeah. I, I wanted to ask, um, obviously you go from uh, Phil and and Emmett, who are athletic guys, but they're not. You know, it's not. It's not the. They don't run the ball the way that Tommy does. Bro, do you do you block differently? Is the is is the way you set up differently because you know that he there's a good chance that he's going to try to make a play with his legs. Um, everything we we block the same, but you have to understand that there's always a second part to the play. Mm. Um, so you might be in pass protection and you get held the guy off for like five seconds. You're in a really good block, and then he just sheds you. And then he might go make a play because there's still something going on. Tommy's such a, an elusive and great athlete that um, anything could ever happen at the same at one time. I mean, you look at his first game here, NIU. He was running around like freaking Johnny Manziel. <laughs> first play and is like a 30 yard run. It's exactly. Like... So he, he's a real, real ball player. He's a stud, and he's great to have around. But um, to answer your question, uh, the blocking doesn't necessarily change as much, but you just gotta stay alive at all times. Just want to look at the timeline of this O line, right? Mm-hmm. Coming into camp, you hear, I think, 25 different times, Coach Halfley and the staff say, We're going to run the ball, we're going to be physical, mm-hmm. we're going to be aggressive. Nobody right? believes us. Yeah, nobody, nobody believes you until. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and, then, and then weeks one to four, right? I, this is my favorite stat that the football team posted. Well, shout out Ray Brendan, Flynn, Ethan Roy, the media team. They posted the graphic of. The, the stats in the run game before, and then when the five-game win streak starts, you guys are averaging you know, 250 yards a game, like a couple – Two, 300-yard games. Like crazy, crazy. Yeah. What was – like, was it one game where you feel like it just clicked? Like, was it that first win of that five-game win streak where you feel like something was just different, or did you feel like throughout the season it was going to get there eventually? Army. Army, yeah. Yeah. We had Army and Army. Yep. And that, the confidence was there. Four touchdowns. I mean, it's a great game. What a, what Over a, 300 yards. Yep. Zen of freaking monsoon. And then G Tech, you can down and do it again. Exactly. You have to have. That's exactly right. Against a, a damn good D line yeah. that Georgia Tech has. Yep. They've what got a, multiple 350 pounders. We ran for 300 yards on them. Yep. What a, like, I remember, you know, because we were all at the Army game. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is the perfect game for If Army's going to beat us, it's going to be this game because. That's exactly – they don't want us to throw the ball. Like, mm-hmm. This is exactly how they wanted to play. And then we were like, well, we'll just do the same thing that mm-hmm. they want to do. Yeah. We're better. We, we did, we did what they did, right? How many triple op- – we, we did the game that way. He's like, I've watched 40 triple options. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. it's – Especially because it, it felt like for the first time during the season, it was like – not for the first time this season, but it, it was really like, okay, this offense – looks so dangerous in the run game mm-hmm. like you could see it you could see it building against uh niu holy cross and florida state right. but that was the first time at least for for me watching that i was like oh shit they're elite yeah right yeah. there's uh we were a lot of the games like you were just talking about niu holy cross we were kind of one thing off of yeah. like one miss block one something off of 90 yard touchdowns like five times yeah so all of a sudden the pieces come together in a game like Army where the confidence becomes and then you see Georgia Tech where we have massive runs. And yeah, that's kind of a culmination yeah. of all that. I, I want just wonder, what was your – I mean, obviously it ended up not standing, but I remember in the Army game it was like they threw like a double the, the lateral shovel, triple, but he was over the line of scrimmage so it didn't count, but he scored initially. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. It was like towards the end of the game. 
don't know if he scored, but it was. Oh, it was oh, like, yeah, they, they got did, the first they down. Did, they did score. Yeah. Yeah. He did score. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, did. yeah, he scored. I, I thought he did it twice. What was yeah. he scored? It was, it was a like your. Pass. Was that like? Did you guys know initially like that's not going to count, or did you guys all think that damn that might have been it? Your heart drops for a second, obviously, um, but our our immediate response like, all right, let's go respond. And then you look at the scoreboard and it kind of replays it. And you're like, threw that freaking yeah. ball forward like a yard. Like, no, we're fine. We sat back down on the bench and continued to enjoy the rain. <laughs> that was the only. That was the only time where our vantage points. So we were broadcasting literally off to the Probably side the under the concourse. You can't even see where Tommy scores the winning touchdown. With you can't see the scoreboard. Off. We have no idea how much time the scoreboard. is off during the game. So we, we thought have to like that walk around for that winning touchdown we thought there were like two minutes left in the game and then army runs two plays and the game's over like oh it was like 30 seconds (laughs) that's awesome i remember because i remember it's the only football game i I, i've called here and i remember being like geo's calling the game and i'm doing the color and i remember like i cut geo off and i'm like he's across the line he's way across because he was like we could see it. It looked like, like he was dead from our point of view it looked like he was four or five yards he threw it overhead he threw it overhead it was just like it might be Listen, I'm sure he's a very smart guy. He goes to West Point. That was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on a football field. Why would you throw the ball? You're literally past the first first down line. I bet you, you can't remember his name, even though you did that research. I, I kid you not, I cannot remember. Jack? Quarterback? No. Bryson, Bryson Daly? <laughs> yeah. no. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he's going to be a great corporal or whatever <laughs> they become. Bryson, if you're listening, you're over the line. No, but uh, I remember watching that from the end zone, too. I knew right away, but, like, the people – we were in, like, the BC students, like, whatever section, I guess, we had in the end zone. You could tell people were like, no, no, I, I knew – I knew right away. But uh, it just seemed odd how he got just so open mm-hmm. so quickly. Well, when they're over the line, you converge on the ball. You don't have to – Yeah. You yeah. think you don't have to worry about a guy <laughs> standing in front yeah. of him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, right. our defense had a great, great game against Army, too. Yeah. I mean, you see the hit Amari makes coming up on the – Speed option, it's just it, they had a they had a great game and overall they had a really good year. I think our D line has responded and um, it's been a lot of injuries. So um, moving into the last question now, we gotta go on wasting more time. But we talked to Jack Funk earlier this year mm-hmm. and he talked about the togetherness of this line group. And then you had Coach Applebaum come in over the years. Speaking of coach transitions, but given the results that you guys had this year and then going into the SMU game, Fenway Bowl. What is the you know the bond of that group like, and how you know much of an effect did it have on what you were actually able to go do on the field? And then for the three parter, how are you going to continue it coming into December twenty eighth? Yeah, um, so I think the the bond of this group is really special, um, and it really started from the guys that used to be here, and they paved the way for us to show us how to do it the right way. And um, we learned and we listened. We sat back and we watched. And then, obviously, Coach App leaves for the Dolphins. And Gooch comes in. And Gooch kind of harbored that mentality that we're a family and we stick together. Because, obviously, it was a real hard year last year. And um, injuries, whatnot, whatever, we were – we stuck together and we were tight. And that was really, really special and that harbored to this year. And this year, that bond has only grown, and that confidence is now is now back. And you were talking about O line you earlier, and yeah. you're damn right. Hell yeah! And um, so it, it's we're back, and um, to continue to SMU, it's just gonna we're gonna keep rolling. Our plan every week is to just elevate our play. 
yep. play our best game yet every week. And so that's what we're planning to do against SMU. Just like Coach Affley says, go one now this week. Exactly. O line you, baby. O line. We have that's our next shirt. Speaking of thumb shirt, that's our next shirt. We got a 67 and a 44 on the back. But <laughs> Nick, you got to ask our last question before we wrap oh, up. Oh yeah, uh, last thing we ask anyone who ever comes on our podcast: um, Do you have any NIL deals you want to shout out? Is there any NIL deal you want? <laughs> uh, we've had Chick Fil A. We've had cars. Lewis had, said Crocs. Oh, um, go Annabelle has to back. Go go squeezes. Go go squeeze. I have a Roboc. Yeah, that's a good one. That's um, a good one. Yeah, I, I think it would be cool to do a uh, Carhartt. And uh, trigger trigger grills the uh, the smokers. Yeah, cool. oh, you grill? Yeah, I've, I I have a trigger in my backyard. We didn't get to a lot of fun no. questions. So, if the team comes over a cook, for a cookout, what do you what are you making? Mm, probably ribs and pulled pork. Yes. Mm. Any chance we can get a bunch of plates? Come on over. I live across the street. Here we Hell go. yeah! Awesome, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us today. Chris, so great yeah. to have you on. We'll wish you best of luck in the Fenway Bowl. We'll, mm. I'll see you there. I don't know next coming, but. I'll be there. Yeah, Jack, uh, Jackson will be there. We'll yeah, be there. I'll be there. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah, we'll see. We'll see. Thank you very much. Thank you so I much. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. Whether he wears forty-four or sixty-seven, it is always a pleasure to sit down with Jack. Huge thanks to him for joining us and BC Football's Brendan Flynn, as well as the entire communication staff with the team for helping us set it up. So now we've heard the media end of this season, as well as a player's opinion on how this season went and what's to come for the Eagles. With all that in mind, to end the show today, it's time for the buzz to break it down. After a quick break, I'm rejoined by Nick and welcome host Timmy Anderson to the studio to unpack everything we've heard over the course of the last hour, focusing on the long-term future and the immediate one where we preview the main attraction, the Fenway Ball versus SMU that takes place this Thursday morning at the historic ballpark in Beantown. It's our last segment of the year. You've listened this long, and so you might as well see it through. Don't go anywhere. Episode 12 of the Beacon Street Buzz resumes after this. I bring up hits and they change up the topic. I got a 19 and it fold in my pocket. One hell of a year and the still dropping. They wanted to stop it, but they couldn't stop it. You told a story like Shorty was feeling you. She told a story like she split the bill with you. Look at my story, man. No one could write it. Now I see a million. I don't get excited. I might just buy some my the thug away. Ain't no real sense in me going the other way. Can I be seen in that from the other day? Virgil just sent me a whole different colorway. Please don't be stupid. Returning now to episode 12 of the Big Street Buzz. Giovanni Collada back in the podcast room with two of our guys joining us for our final segment of this special show, the Sports Talk segment, where we are going to unpack everything we just heard about BC season in review and think about the prospects of the future a little more before we wrap up today. So, Nick, Timmy, welcome to the show. Welcome to this BC season in review. How are we doing today, boys? Thank you so much for having us. Oh, yeah, I a, really appreciate it. I've never met you before. How are you doing? <laughs> How are you nice doing? Nice to meet you. Yeah. It's not like we've worked together for a year plus. So. Uh, who? Huh? I'm sorry. I don't huh? Yeah, you know, this organization. Big, I don't have any yeah. money on me. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. This organization, the Beacon Street Buzz, like, yeah, they're, they're kind of dope, you know. Must be, like, some underground thing. Yeah, I never heard. Yeah, yeah, no, we're pretty solid. Um, you should try it. You should check it out, though. Probably not. <laughs> I don't see me doing that. In the spirit of the Beacon Street Buzz, we're, we're coming in with some banter, but now let's turn our heads to football. And I do want to bring attention to a couple of stats. And I think the most jarring stat to me is the rushing difference. And that's where I want to start 
today's little segment. From weeks one to four, they were at 159 and a half, kind of the middle of the pack of the country and the conference. And then you get up by the end of that five-game winning streak to 252 yards per game, best for first in the conference and as high as seventh in the nation. So this team came into camp saying they were going to run the football, and they did it. What does that tell you guys about the ability to commit to something and then actually stand on your word and do it? Very few have the ability to do. So I want to hear you guys' opinions on that to start off today. Uh, I think what it shows most of all um, is how good that offensive line was and the commitment they had to being a really good rushing offense. Because you look at that team last year, and they couldn't run the ball at all. They were one of the worst, if not the worst, rushing offenses in the country. The, yeah, the, the 131 out of 131. They were the worst rushing offense in the nation. Exactly. So the commitment and the and the drive to, to be better and to become with, by the way, pretty much the same, the same, felt like the same group. You get mahogany back. Well, injury, yeah, a same group yeah. that was technically on the team, yeah. not that was on the field. Not that was on the field, yeah. which is a big reason why they were so terrible, but. Sure. Cam Arnold was playing left guard. Yeah. Yeah. Which Cam Arnold is the, for, not for information, folks, is the weak side linebacker on defense. He was playing offense for most but of the he, season. He was trying so hard, um, but it shows. I mean, that could discourage a team, you know. To so to go from it shows two things. One, it shows in the offseason they worked really hard on becoming a very good rushing offense, and it just took a couple weeks for it to come together. And two, it just shows how much of an impact losing those guys was last year. And, you know, the ability, because it's basically the same, you know, besides um, Kai Robichaux, who's, oh, who's great. We'll talk about it, yeah. Who's great. But basically the same running back group you had for last year. You had, it was Garwell and it was Broom, and then Garwell gets hurt. Marfield was here, Xavier Coleman was here, and those are guys that didn't really get the chance yeah. to thrive, even though Broom had 225 yards in 2022. Yeah, if it, 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 so it, was, it was really interesting to see that they had really wanted yeah. to be such a good run team, especially since they were so bad last year. To, so to want to flip the script was really cool. Yeah, and like getting the run, like developing the run game in games like when you're down is so tough because teams can get so impatient. And that's what they started doing in, this, in the win streak. They started getting, like they started out strong, and they would establish the run, and then they'd keep going with the run. And it's like Louisville, they get down, then they'd have to throw the ball. They'd have to... Oh, well, and, that, and that's part of what Trevor has talked about with us just now about starting games out fast, about coming in with an intention to keep the ball on the ground as much as possible. And then when you get down, you can't really come back because you have to make the quarterback, Thomas Castellanos, and it, it didn't show for the first couple of weeks because what were they doing, Timmy? They were coming out in games starting fast. And that's where we want to transition into this next point about adding another piece to this offense where you have the run down. You, know, you were first in the conference at one point. You finished out at third. You nearly averaged for the whole season, despite having 140, 50 yards at one point, as we just talked about. You nearly averaged 200 yards per game on the ground, which to go from 68 yards per game to 200 is pretty incredible pretty awesome. in, in one offseason, right? Thomas Castellanos has such a big part of that run offense, but... How do you see offensive coordinator Steve Shimko potentially integrating some new throws, some new play actions, and really taking this offense from you know, where it was to higher levels and 
greatness, potentially, that's going to allow it to win more games. And I think it'll be really interesting if it is the same the offensive coordinator, if it's the same coaching staff next year, to see how they're able to, to cook up plays for Tommy, because now you know, okay, that's your guy. Obviously, they didn't know that coming into the season. They knew that they liked him when he came here, but obviously he transferred in the middle of summer. And I forget, they, they always say that he came in like, he came, in like he came I mean, we talked to Alex um, coming into that week, and we had no clue. Remember, if you remember, I knew that just from doing research for the games that he might be in on certain packages. Mm-hmm. But two series into that game, as I've said in, the, in earlier in this show, he came in for Emmett Moorhead. And afterwards in that game, you hear Jeff Halfley say that that was our plan all along. So they obviously knew that that's what they wanted to do. And he came here, Alex said, in you know March. Last year, he didn't play in the spring game. He was not on the roster until July, right? So that's wild to have that kind of connection develop that quickly, even though they lost that first game and then the Florida State game as well. No, it makes you think. You know, it makes you think. What if they had a you know oh, had yeah. more time to design to design a system around them? And once they were able to, if you notice after the bye week, it was really like, oh. Like they were really putting stuff together for yeah, him. Yeah, that was after Army. Wise, after Army. Yeah. Even though he ran for four touchdowns against Army, or whatever. Four touchdowns over 100 yards for the so second straight So he was doing week. okay. He was still doing yeah, okay. Yeah, I think he was fine. But <laughs> the idea of of being able to put together plays, more plays specifically set up to him, and figure out okay, he can run the ball, but how do we add more dimensions to his game? How do we simplify an offense for him? How do we make it so this offense, it's him, and everyone else around him is, is built off of what he can do, and I think that would be really interesting to see. Yeah, and that's obviously going to develop so well this summer. They're going to have so much more time, like you were saying, Gio. When we talk about potential for this team next year, coming into this season, you had that game on this first in the schedule, thinking, okay, if you're going, if BC is going to prove to the fans, to to themselves, I think most importantly, that. There's legitimate reason to believe that there's change that's going to be good. You have to come out and win that game, and they felt flat in that game. And well, what the problem was was you didn't have a leader going into that game. You were exactly you had two different quarterbacks. You can't go into a first game of the year with two different quarterbacks. What does John Madden say, Timmy? You you have two quarterbacks. You have no quarterbacks. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Perfect. I didn't know the answer. No idea. I've known Timmy. I feel like you're enough of a football buff to have known that. I'm not not a quote guy. That's Nick. He knew that. Uh, it's, I've known Timmy. And Nick, I, Nick and Jimmy. We'll shout out Jim on this. No, I I, like he's... I've known Timmy for a while now, I know, and I know his I don't know what's going on face. And he was displaying it. Good, good As you asked that question, my face went blank. <laughs> but going off that point, it is very relevant to see that as Thomas began, I just call him Thomas, the government name. As, as Tommy began to become well, you're more not, You're not buddies with him. You know. nah, Maybe he'll want you to call yeah. you Thomas. Yeah, TC. Tom. Mr. Castellanos. Mr. Castellanos. Mr. Castellanos. Gee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to cut that out. Yeah. But talking about you know Tommy becoming more comfortable with the offense as the weeks come on, you said after the bye week, it was a real coming in that Georgia Tech game. You know, that was one where if you won that, you start to think, you know, okay, this can actually happen. Bowl eligibility, at the very least, can actually happen. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, Tommy should really look at a guy I compare him to is uh, Russell Wilson and just the ability oh. to create, like, plays when it looks like it's dead. Obviously, we saw him in the uh, – That was the first game. Yeah, you're talking about the fourth and five? Yeah. Yeah. The fourth and five was played earlier in this episode was 
probably one of the better plays. People forget he had a 30-yard run on the first play of his career. Right? Options, sweeps to the outside, beats a couple defenders, puts a move on, and plays like that Georgia Tech touchdown. The, all four touchdowns against Army were the reason why they won that game, obviously. So he, this guy is a playmaker, and I think if he can take that next step with a little bit more experience, get comfortable with these receivers over the offseason, there is no reason why BC can't win a lot of games last year. So let's transition to the final segment of this show. Want to do some record predictions. That's what we're famous for on this show. We have not done that in a while. Get a look at the schedule here, and I'll give you guys some time to think about this. There's only 11 games on here. They have not scheduled the first out-of-conference game, the NIU equivalent to next year's schedule. But they will go to Missouri, and then they will have six straight home games, six straight tailgates, here against Michigan State, Western Kentucky, Louisville, North Carolina, Pitt, and Syracuse. Then they go to Florida State, they go to SMU, they go to Virginia, and then they end the season in Lane Stadium in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech. Nick, you're shaking your head. That's, that's a, tough. It's tougher than this year, right? tough schedule. I mean, you look at that. We go... Hit the only bad team you play? Yeah, Western, Western, Kentucky. Western Kentucky's bad. And you Michigan play. State is objectively Michigan State at the bottom has, of the Big Ten. has not been good. So, so thinking so about that schedule, right? Games. Thinking about that schedule and everything we've talked about just now and in this episode, there has to be at least a chance, right, Nick, that they can come out with another, at the very least, six-win season. So, sorry, Missouri, senior quarterback. Brady Cook. UNC, senior quarterback. All right, Sam. Florida State, senior, senior quarterback. quarterback. Those are three teams that are going to well, have senior, new senior quarterback who will unfortunately never play again. But Is he not going to play? I, I don't have know. No clue. I'm I not going to yeah, throw no his, his leg went in a different direction. But, so. you know, we'll find out there if yeah. we'll find out on Saturday. Tate Rodemaker. If he's the guy. <laughs> yeah. We'll find yeah. out. But anyway, those are three, three teams that are going to need to adjust to a new quarterback. Like we did early in the year, maybe they're going to struggle early in the year. We play Missouri Week One. That's we're more experienced on offense. I'm an optimistic guy. I think that we have a good chance to beat Missouri, Michigan State, bottom Big Ten. That's two and zero. Western <laughs> Kentucky, we lost Northern Illinois last year. We can beat them. This is a similar team, similar matchup. We can win that game, three and zero, and then we're going to be riding high, and we can see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's the Western Kentucky, just off the bat, the revenge game for Kai Robichaud. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was thinking that. Um, they also have a really weird mascot. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's like the... It's like a it's like a red blob. It's very weird. I don't think it's a red Hilltopper. Blob. He's a Hilltopper. It he's is like a Hilltopper. He's like a red blob, isn't he? If I remember correctly. What's his name? Big Red. Yeah, Big Red. Wow. This guy. Yeah, there he is. Didn't Gee, know he kind of looks like you. <laughs> for, those, for those at home, he looks like... Um, his eyes are I don't in know, the wrong maybe place. A, maybe a fat cough drop. <laughs> um, the Western Kentucky oversized cough drops. I like that. But there, <laughs> so let's get as we end up here. Let's get some numbers, Nick. What are what are we smelling for this year? Okay, well, Missouri's so what? Missouri at home. It's definitely a game we'll play. Michigan State, you could beat, especially if it's it's at home, right? You could beat Michigan State. You could beat Western Kentucky. Um, what's the team? Louisville? Louisville without Jack Plummer. Without Jack Plummer, I have no idea what kind of team they are. So maybe you could, maybe I don't know what Louisville's going to look like next year. It's really early, so it, it it's hard. It is very early. It's very early out. This team is due to undergo some changes, but is seven or anywhere from six to eight wins 
in the realm of possibility, do you two? Do you think so? I think seven wins you is take, a real possibility. You take the Michigan State and, and the Western Kentucky game, and then basically you have to win four conference games. And we don't know how Pitt, good Pitt's going to be. Syracuse has a new head coach. Um, Virginia. Well, what's what's the quarterback situation with Carolina? Drake May is going to the draft. So he I don't know what for, I don't know what that sure. quarterback's going to look like next year. Florida Riley, State. Riley, Riley. Oh, Max Johnson might be going to North Carolina. He is actually. Going oh, jeez, I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. That might be a loss. Heck. Virginia's bad. Um, so you could win Virginia. It's not set up for. But it. look at these teams. You know what I mean? But looking at these teams, I know there's a lot of names you know on there, which usually does not lend to a favorable schedule. Right? No UConn. No UConn this year. No, you know, uh, NIU. Right? I just hate to say it because you should have probably lost that. What do you got there? What do you got But let me remind everybody, as we have throughout this episode, that this team hung with the number three team in the nation for four quarters, even though it didn't look like it, and was about eight penalties shy of actually winning that game. I keep saying they should have won that game. And an extra point. And I'll remind everyone, as we heard about in this, I I mean, we did a little narrative piece before this, there was a fourth and goal on your second drive. Fourth and, no, no, excuse me, a fourth and inches from the seven-yard line that you didn't go for. I said at the time, I said in the booth it was a mistake, and I will stand on that anytime anyone brings up that game. That's If if you score there, it's 14-3. Finishing up now, episode 12, with one final note of confidence, or rather a vote of confidence for next year, Nick. Do you think that this team can come through with a, a couple wins this year? I, I think it'll be exciting. I think they'll be a fun team to watch at times, but I think they'll also be a frustrating team to watch at times. That's pretty much BC Sports in general, though, isn't it? We'll see what the team looks like next year. They have a lot of work to do in the transfer portal specifically, especially with the worst recruiting class in the ACC. Still, but they have a very good, they have a good team already, so that's not going to hurt them crazily. We'll see what they do in the portal. But much like my fantasy team, they have a chance. Well, uh, I, you know they have a puncher's chance, which is all you can which is all you can ask for. They got they got a superstar quarterback. Tim, your final note: Do you believe in this team? Everyone starts the year zero and zero. True. Takes a few. She's got to win a few games every single week. She's got to win one. Got to see the shot go in. Got to go one to know every week. That's what Jeff Halfley said all year long. And any given Saturday, Tim, we'll change the expression. You, this I know you know that expression. Any given Saturday, this team would go out and win. We want to thank everybody for joining us here today on episode twelve of the Beacon Street Buzz. It's been a special one, folks. Our first ever BC Sports season in review finally complete. Let's give a round of applause for that. You know, I largely made the whole thing. Great job, Gio. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks, and Gio. we will be sending to our new boss for next semester. Do you have any idea of who that might be? This is Nikki. around Christmas now. Special announcement, folks. I will, uh, due to Gio becoming, planning on winning the marathon, I will be stepping in for hosting duties for a couple months. The show will be uh, the same, pretty much the exact same, except I will be, I don't know, reading off more questions, I guess. Except we're losing our star, Gio. Well, except I, we're well, losing well, the no, only I, guy I who want, makes it like a serious, well, I do tangible wanna, thing. No, but I do want to say, I do want to say that, A, I can't back up winning the marathon. I, I gotta, I You're good. Go. You'll be fine. If I cut off a few miles, I might do it. I do want to express my utmost confidence in 
Nick, Jackson, Timmy, Paul, Jimmy, Noah, Pepper, Brody, and Alden in making this thing as great as it has been. They're a big part of the reason why it's so good. I just really write the shows and sit down here and yap. So thanks to them for giving me some time to focus on this marathon, focus on myself, and I'm so excited for what these guys are going to produce. And, Boss, I'm very excited for a couple of great interviews in the next few months. Absolutely. We're, you know, we're excited here. And, and, for, and if you're not out there cheering for Geo or you're not doting, how's your campaign going? We folks have hit over $10,000 Woo! Going to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, funding general case, yeah, general cancer research. Okay, got it out. There it is. So, nice. yeah, all, all good cause there. Thank you very much for listening to episode 12, folks, and for the last time for a little bit, it's been a hell of a night. Thank you again to everyone who helped make this BC season interview possible. For one more time, I'm Giovanni Collada signing off for 2023. Catch us at the Fenway Bowl this Thursday, December 28th. WCBC Sports and Co. will be at the ballpark for bowl season for BC. Thank you all so much for listening once again. Let's go, Eagle. Can't stop the spirits when I need you. This life is more than just a read through.